Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Road to Recovery podcast. This podcast is a platform for education, discussion, and conversations on mental health. I'm your host, Amira Shah, and in this podcast, you'll get to know more about the therapeutic process, insight into life from the perspective of the psyche, and also join me in exploring current issues with other practitioners. I specialize in grief, but I'm always interested in learning about the human experience of the mind, heart, and spirit. So join me on this journey of in-depth learning about ourselves and the world we live in. everyone welcome back to science of the soul so today with me i have sitki janaidi sitki is from indonesia but he moved here when he was um, a teenager 14 to 15 years old completely on his own and he's been here ever since sitki's background is in um commerce management and he has a master's in business systems however in recent years, he has had a, a professional and career shift, a life shift as well, where he's now a professional coach. Um, he is a registered member of the International Coaching Guild, and he is a mindset and behavioral coach for fathers, young adults, and leaders, where he focuses on building emotionally intelligent families and young adults. And I got to know Sidki through my research and I found it so fascinating how he was really into mental health, particularly around men. So hello Sidki, thank you for joining us today. It's so nice to have you. Hi Amira, thank you for inviting me. Great to see you again. So Siddiqui, can you tell us all a little bit more about your background, how you got into the work that you're doing now? Okay, cool. Um, so in terms of, and, and thank you, Amira, for inviting me and thank you for a, the, the quick intro. Um, in terms of my background, as, as mentioned, I, I grew up in Indonesia um, and I live here since I was 14 or 15 years old uh, by myself. I think, um, in terms of how am I in this space today, there's a few uh, defining moments for me in terms of how becoming more interested in the mental health, especially in the realms of men's mental health. Part of it is because of my own personal journey. Um, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. And part of it is also because of my interactions with few men uh, or a number of men within my close proximity that have life-changing moments or difficult moments in their life. Um, so for example, in terms of my personal experience, uh, when I went through my uh, divorce, uh, my first divorce, uh, on my first marriage, um, I went through a lot of mental struggle. Um, mm. So when I went there, I was basically I was as I was in Melbourne at that time, um, and I was hiding that fact that I was struggling from the people around me, uh, from my friends, from my colleagues at work. I never talk about that. I was trying to be 
um, look okay from the outside, but inside I was crumbling. Mm. So whenever I go back home, for example, um, from work, I would um, shut myself in in my own room and not wanting to go out um, at all. Um, only only going to the kitchen, then make some food, and then uh, and then eat as quick as possible, and then just basically shut myself in the room. And I and when and the thing is, whenever I go out. I felt, you know, even though it's it's you know being um, surrounded by a lot of people, by friends and all that kind of stuff, um, and a lot of people basically, but I just felt alone, and mm. because I have so many troubles. And the thing is, for me, is like I don't want to bother anyone with my issues because I'm pretty sure they have their own issues to take care of. Mm. And back then, I think mental health was not something that I was really exposed to mm. i didn't know what it was but i know I, w- I wasn't feeling healthy and i know that i need to to start new life somewhere so that's why i decided to move to perth from melbourne perth, you said um yeah perth so i live i live i moved from melbourne to perth um just well primarily because of that primarily mm. because of that because i couldn't uh, I felt Melbourne was becoming too restrictive for me in terms of movements, um, but, but primarily because I was created mentally as well. Right. right. Um, the the other part is a few men in my workplace, whether that's from my ex colleague um, back in Melbourne and ex male colleague back in Perth as well, who I have encountered with. And they were really struggling in terms of their life and their work. Um, I unfortunately, um, you know, one of my colleague uh, committed or completed suicide mm. back in 2019. And this makes me question in terms of, you know, what's going on in this um, in this space here. And that's where I started to deep dive into this space even more. Yeah. Mm. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, often, I mean, that's the phenomenon of people in um, coaching and counseling and psychology uh, or psychotherapy. Mm. Um, Often it stems from some sort of um, crisis that we experience within our lives first. And then suddenly we become a bit more aware of all the like existential and life crises that that are happening around us through our friends, our family and things like that. And then we're like, you know, what is all this about? <laughs> let's let's yeah, let's figure yeah, it out. Because there's something there, and we clearly we don't know very much about it. We're not really taught, or we're not very exposed to it. And yeah, then the deep dive happens, and I can totally relate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, that that was the, the really the case with me and few other coaches that I know, and few other therapists that I know as well. So there's usually there's a part of their life that they make things happen, you know, and they suddenly realize there's got to be something that I can do. Yeah. So for me, this is something that I'm willing to take as well. Yeah. And Mm. I I sometimes believe, well, not sometimes, I do believe that the challenges that we face in life, despite how heart-wrenching, you know, how catastrophic it is 
um, there's always a lesson. There's always a room for resilience to be built. Um, and there's always an opportunity for some sort of personal transformation or some sort of um, growth to happen. And when it's so severe, um, and we really, you know, we really dive into it, and we really want to understand what it is about. Um, we tend to have this altruistic um, sort of uh, inertia, almost, to want yeah. to share that with people in a in a in a proper way, you know. And so we go yeah. and get educated. We go and get trained. And we try our best, I guess, to, to help. So I guess that's that's the healing profession. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 totally the case. I mean, um, the intention that I have is really about understanding. Uh, the initial intention to when I went to coaching last year um, was about personal development, for mm. just for myself. Right. Oh. I had I had I was experiencing a lot of anxiety in my work. And uh, feeling very different compared to like there's a mental pressure inside me and just mm -hmm. bubbling up. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I felt that I wasn't myself anymore in terms of you know, what's going on. I don't feel like I'm never been like this before. And I just, you know, basically just asking a lot of questions to uh, a number of people. Um, and basically that's, that's how I end up in terms of coaching and really immersing myself in, in this space. And now based on the results that I have with my personal life, and I said to myself, look, uh, you know, I wanted to, to, to help others in this space as well. Yeah. Hmm. Um, can I just ask what, hmm. why did you go into, um, coaching when you were experiencing these like um anxieties that you were talking about and why why mm. coaching instead of like going for counseling why take a certificate or an, a qualification instead of you mm. know doing that personal work mm. um why coaching well I'm, I'm i'm not sure actually to be honest in terms of when i was um deep diving into into this personal development journey, I'm, I was looking for something that I can use for myself. Um, when, and, and there's two things, I guess, what happened. One is I want to do something other than my current work, mm. i.e. I want to create a legacy and create something that is more meaningful other mm. than just the work that I do in corporate. Yeah. Um, but then I also need to understand what's going on within uh, in myself. I, for me, when I um, heard uh, the word about coaching, therapy, or psychology, I always thought those uh, therapy and psychology are reserved for people who are experiencing some sort of more heavy mental issues, whatever the case may be. That's in my word because I didn't understand about this work. And for me, is coaching is something that um, something but different. Maybe I guess something that is maybe more suitable for me for my model um, uh, of uh, medium. Mm. So that's why I, I went to coaching. Okay. Okay. Uh, I just I, I guess it's just yeah. I think it's just based, based on my 
limited understanding about how how the world works at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the reason why um, I thought it would be really awesome to speak with you um, and have a podcast was your interest and your passion for men's mental health. And can you tell me how you got into men specifically and why? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, okay, there's, there was an experience in 2009. As I mentioned, I had a colleague who, who, who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So one of the, that was one of my, my, my first turning point in terms of questioning what can I do in this space. Um, so what happened at that time was um, I was working one afternoon um, and then suddenly a friend of mine is tapping me on my shoulder. A friend of mine at work tapping on my shoulder said, you know this person, you know you know JB. Um, years ago, I heard that you were best friend with him, if I... Um, if I'm not mistaken, and then I said, "Yeah, definitely. I I I I know him very well." And then, have you gone into his Facebook? Yet? I said, "No, I haven't gone into his Facebook for quite some time." Um, I just saw his. He said, "My friend said, um, I just saw his brother posted on his Facebook, uh, giving the news that he just committed suicide." And for me, I basically just sits and was in shocked i couldn't process that news and i had to verify that by going to his facebook and then i just you know what i can't deal with that news and i just asked permission from my manager basically look i need to go home and process this information and process this emotion as well and um i remember him as someone who i really you know, I was very close to him back in the day when I was still working in Melbourne. Mm. Um, he was, you know, he was the one in the team that makes um, makes the team really alive. Mm. And, and for me, it was a very personal thing. Um, and that's probably why I, I question this in terms of what had I reached out to him, this is the, the actual question that I you know, inquired myself was, had I reached out to him a few months ago, um, when I received the news that, or saw the news that his mother passed away, mm. just asking him, are you, are you okay? Maybe uh, giving him a place for, um, to grieve or whatever the case may be, maybe that could have, made a different outcome mm-hmm. um and that is probably one of the yeah one of the the major milestone for me in terms of looking into this space even more and then i found out you know men's have more a, a higher rate of suicide compared to a women for example yeah. um, women have more um, according to the study that i that I looked into, women have more thoughts in terms of suicidal, uh, yeah. being suicidal. Yeah. But then men has uh, completed that suicide more because they use more lethal um, means yeah. To, yeah. To, to commit such. Yeah. yeah, women tend to, according to statistics, women have more attempt, but males, mm-hmm. uh, men yeah. are more successful. 
Yeah. Comparatively. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that's why I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to help in this phase, just to help other men to say to themselves that it's okay to not be okay. Mm. Um, because in this space as well, there's a lot of um, social barrier or stigma mm. that men has to to really hold themselves together um, because that's the expectations of men. Um, so that's that, and that's again coming back to my story of of uh, divorce. Mm. In my personal my personal barrier was I cannot. I need to make sure that I'm um, I'm maintaining myself and managing myself okay. Mm. So I need still to need to be performing at work, mm. despite the fact that my my, my mentally uh, um, I was mentally uh, not there, you know, mm. um, just crumbling. Yeah, you know, I, when did this happen? Uh, when your first marriage dissolved, if you don't mind me asking. I think. I can't remember now. Uh, 2010? 2010, 2011? I'm curious because I'm thinking back. Now, I've only been in Australia since, well, this time around as, you know, as an adult, um, since 2016. And I was kind of vaguely aware that you know um, large organizations or many many organizations have like this employee employee assist employee assistance program eap what does it stand for employee employee assisted no employee assistance program program and employee assistance program oh there you go i don't think so was that a thing back then, like ten years ago? Was that prevalent? I don't, I, I don't think so, because I never heard of that until I moved to, to Brisbane, or yeah, a few companies. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I never heard of it. All right. Um, and I was working in in uh, in tier one companies. Okay, so yeah, maybe it is a more recent development, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and you talked about um, men and the social stigma. And I'm wondering, because you're from, you know, you're from Indonesia. So you're from um, a very rich um, culture as well with, you know, like such an ancient history there, you know, with Indonesia. Yeah. Um, in your experience, um, that social stigma mm -hmm. around mental health, specifically for men, does that like, does it vary across cultures, or is that pretty much the same thing? You know, with us, with Western or Australia, um, with with Southeast Asia. What mm -hmm. do you think? Or maybe all the other uh, cultures, all the different cultures of people that you work with. Um. In terms of men experience, mm -hmm. I think there is somewhat similarities in that space. Okay. In terms of um, the distinction, for example, men cannot show 
their emotions when they are feeling um, sad, so they cannot cry. Uh, you're not you're not supposed to to cry in certain occasions, especially, um, or they cannot show or I cannot show my anger in certain situations. Um, those things is very common, and I had a chat with a few clients in this space as well. So they have those shared experiences as. Uh, as men in 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 that sense mm. um in indonesia or at least in my in the family that i was growing up with or in the um in that space in the culture mm. my parents i don't think they un- they know how to address my emotional needs especially when i was showing up my my heavy emotions mm. um so they shut me down um, so many times I uh, would be, you know, um, uh, being put in a room, being put in a bathroom and just lock myself, uh, being locked in there and just cried until I subside, basically. Um, wow. So I think I think those those experiences are, are, are fairly common. Look, um, I think uh, from from that perspective. I. I when I when I visit this, when doing my inner healing, inner childhood work, and and all that, um, looking from the the compassionate perspective, I had I had, uh, you know, my my parents did that because they don't know how to address my needs, and mm-hmm. that's you know looking back, I think just being more compassionate in that perspective as well, because perhaps when they grow up, they didn't know how. Their parents didn't know how to as well, so mm-hmm. it's just a uh, you know a cycle of patterns being passed on from the previous generations. Um, and I had uh, you know growing up when I was you know past that seven years eight years old, I had more you know closer relationship with my parents then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're just not sure or how to to address when I'm showing up my one of my big emotions. Um, again, across culture, I think there's similarities in terms of um, this space that men can't just show their emotions. Mm-hmm. Women, there's some, um, maybe there's some concessions in that space, much more than men. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, men just they're a different thing altogether. There's this, um, so, so it is it is gender specific rather than culture, or maybe mm-hmm. at least to, to our knowledge, or, you know. Yeah. The cultures that we've been exposed to um yeah you're right it's it's okay for women to cry but men have to be strong or you know there are many times that yeah, i've spoken to like heaps of clients and you know women as well and you know there's this idea of staying strong or being strong and you know listeners can't see but mm. i'm like you know holding my fingers up and making quotation marks <laughs> um but yeah this being strong thing it 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 irks me. It bothers me when yeah. someone says, you know, but I had to be strong, but we have to be strong. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, what does yeah. strong mean to you? Does that mean that you put up a wall so that, uh, or a yeah. facade yeah. that, you know, you're, you're not overcome with emotion? Um, is that because you are doing that for the sake of others? Because that sometimes, you know, there's a time and place for that. But then when that becomes yeah. reinforced and when that becomes the norm, you know, is being strong, is, is that really being strong when you're running away or, you know, shutting down that emotional side of mm-hmm. you, you know, like, because it yeah. is really hard to, to face 
the anger it's hard to face the hate it's hard to face the tears the sadness the sorrow the regret the guilt so I don't mm -hmm. really so, like I don't I personally don't think that's being strong I think that's avoidance right yes yes that's the avoidance strategy and just bury down those emotions and emotions that are buried will come back mm. you know many forms yeah. it's like you're trying to push down a, a balloon under the under the water oh. um Good one. you know the balloon is still there but then eventually you you can't keep holding on to that mm. and eventually you will just trying to um, escape right yeah. um yeah it's just gonna be accumulate emotion is to be felt emotion is to be felt end to end mm -hmm. not being buried that's that's one of the, the key thing that i understand now mm. Mm. so what are the other um factors or the main factor that you think is, contributes to men not wanting to seek help and not even like wanting to seek help not even acknowledging or addressing or being conscious of the fact that mm. help is needed you know what i mean yeah uh maybe the, uh, i think it's come back to one is the social stigma okay right the social stigma is there um the, that shame feeling shame if men's looking for help and all that mm -hmm. the other one is also again reflecting back on my experience maybe we just don't know that we do need help or not having the awareness that i i actually can seek help with this um uh, uh this mental challenges that i'm experiencing mm -hmm. now the, the thing is is like fortunately right now is being talked about more mm -hmm um in corporate companies and all this stuff that's why we have those eaps and and mental health day and wellness program and all that stuff yeah but for many others who don't expose to those conversations the awareness is not there yet mm. um so they're not sure you know i'm feeling down i'm feeling this xyz but i don't know i don't know who to seek help from right um yeah, I think those those two things. Social stigma. If they if they know that they need to seek help, then there's a feeling of shame that they want to seek help. The other one is totally don't understand. Right. That they they do need. Help. Yeah. What do you think are the predominant uh, physical manifestations or behavioral manifestations amongst men who you know might be experiencing? yeah lack of wellness you know mental health wise um feeling a lot of um uh, anxiety is one feeling visual distress um they it, it's also manifested in their um overall everyday performance in terms of work for example they're not being able to concentrate um they will feel again coming from my personal experience at work um it also manifested in terms of physical well-being um sometimes they feel nauseous uh, at work easily migraine uh, headaches and all that stuff very easily and there's a study of um the mind the mind body connection that if you're being stressed then you're also going to have um uh, you're going to upset your stomach 
right? Your uh, mind whether that's got, yeah. yeah, yeah, the mind got connections through Neville. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, polyvagal theory uh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so there's a, a lot of manifestations manifestations of that reflecting in our body as well. Mm. So uh, psychosomatic symptoms. Yeah. What about behavior? And, and, and what, what? Oh, sorry. Behavioral. Yeah. And, and there's there's many things. For example, the the one common thing is having those self negative belief is very common. Okay. You know, I am, I am, uh, I am, and then insert negative mm. um, label about ourselves. I am dumb. I can't do anything right. I am, you know, such and such. Mm. <laughs> so there's, there's, that's pretty common as well. And again, that, that again, we were, it, it comes up in the, in the behavioral externally. Mm-hmm. Um, addiction can be uh, one of the uh, behavioral that is being displayed. And addiction is not only uh, alcohol and drugs addiction, but anything that is unresourceful. So yeah. for example, if, if I'm uh, uh, um, playing video games just mm-hmm. because um, that person just wants to get away from a certain emotions um, is one of the addictive behavior. Um, doing, um, becoming addictive to work or mm-hmm. addictive to um, going to the gym, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, basically asking a question, why do you do X, X, Y, Z? Mm. Um, it's coming back to the intent of the why underneath it. So in these um, examples that you've given me, I mean, two mm. things come to my mind. So obviously there's that escapism or that avoidance, um, but it mm. also could be a coping mechanism, right? So yes. yeah. let's take, I mean, okay, when we think about video, so obviously a lot of these things, you know, in order to realize that you might have a problem um, is to have an awareness that your behavioral manifestations, so just your behaviors um, are a bit excessive, you know, um, with the games and things yes. like that. And yeah. I'm pretty sure within the um, the family, you know, there'll be other people that, that, you know, will call you out on it. Like, you know, you're spending a lot of time, mm. like, can you, you know, um, so there's that, mm. you know, social, um, what do you call it? Uh, sorry yeah the social feedback thank you so the social feedback that you're exposed to and you know given the lockdown and all that sometimes we don't have that social feedback um and you know maybe other people in the family are also having their own uh escapisms but what if we you know we 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 get quite so-called addicted to um working out for example um Mm or you know something that's seemingly productive um like mechanics you know fixing everything that is possibly not right with the house um trying to be really perfect with you know the work that we do to an extent that um it might be obsessive and again is it so where do you draw the line between um coping and this is a problem and escapism Um it, it, it really um, come back to the internal world of that person. 
this is from my perspective, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a difference between a, a high a high performance achiever, for example, and a perfectionist. Perfectionist mm -hmm. needs to do X, Y, Z perfectly. Um, but then, and high achievers is also had to do, you know, um, certain tasks very well. But internally, the way they process their emotions is different. Okay. So um, a perfectionist may feel, still feel hollow inside even after they have done X, Y, Z to an nth degree. But high achievers will feel content because, hey, I have delivered this um, activities um, to the best of my ability. So mm. it comes down to the internal, what are they feeling? Yeah. You know, um, if I'm doing, um, there's a difference between, for example, playing games and just to um, bury those emotions okay. uh, compared to, uh, you know, and they, they're playing it for hours and hours and hours just because they, it's an escapism um, uh, mechanism, right? Um, and then just playing it for leisure. They just do it for one hour, and then that's it. They just mm. walk away from it. Mm. Um, so again, coming back to the internal world and what they're actually trying to achieve. Mm. So the other one, um, you know, um, going to health and exercise. What is the intent? Why do they want to do, you know, have a do such a, a heavy regimes? Mm. Is it because they just time to get away from loneliness because they feel lonely at home? They don't have anyone to connect with. And that's the only thing that they can do um, to escape from loneliness mm. or whatever the case is. So yeah. it's coming back to whatever is going on inside. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Science of the Soul. This is a short interruption to let you know that if you or someone you know are in need of more support, you can find me at Road to Recovery on my Facebook page, my Instagram, or my website at aroadtorecovery.org. I hope you've enjoyed listening so far, and now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, and from what you're talking about, I'm picking up two things, right? Um, one is, I think, maybe, maybe time, the time spent on said activity um, mm -hmm. might be um, like, a, like a marker. And then another yeah. thing would be what you said, the, the, the internal experience, so with whether you are, you know, content, or still com compelled or have a mm. compulsiveness about it, um, whether you still feel, whether you feel satisfied or not after, whether I guess maybe how much you're ruminating about it, about the, the activity, which is actually the thing that's masking the issues, um, whatever's yes. happening beneath. And I'm also wondering how does this play out in a marriage or in an intimate relationship? what happens there from a perspective of a male because that's something you know yeah. i don't have very much experience in and i'm pretty yeah. sure it plays out significantly in that space yes very very so well, one of the reasons why i was mentioning gaming because gaming is one of my um uh, unresourceful coping strategies right right 
um, before I was doing the work of you know coaching and personal development, etc. Um, one of the way for me to bury those stressful feeling from work and also stressful feeling from um, uh, life at home, for example, with my connection with my wife or kids or whatever the case may be, becoming stressed is going through gaming. So at even during work days, for example, I would play games until 12 o'clock, one o'clock at night. Wow. And, and even during the weekends, I would I would do that. But then I was doing I was just doing it at, on on the weekends and uh, oh, sorry weekdays and weekends at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, now I realized when I was starting doing this work, and and definitely during during that time, mm-hmm. my wife would complain quite a lot, right? In terms of why you keep playing this, why you do or you, you don't have any time for me, you would have. Um, time for the game and you know you're becoming very tired during daytime and whatever the case may be it, it created a lot of tensions as well right um, and but then inside me I was I was saying to myself you know I'm trying to get away from stress from work I'm trying to get away from feeling those stress mm. right um and yeah, definitely, there's becoming a, a lot of issues because of that. It's it's a pattern um, that you know that I uh, that I that I have with me. Mm. And whenever there's something stressful for me, I need to do something. Uh, I need to do X, Y, Z mm. just to get away from that feeling because it's for me, it's uneasy. Mm. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I was working on the past twelve months. doing the inner child work um, and all that is understanding what are my coping mechanism um, under social strategies so gaming is one and many more and I'm reducing and just managing my time around it and now I'm basically just feeling my emotion through whenever I feel stress or talk about it Mm. talk about the the stress with my therapist with my coaches Mm. Um, so I will able to you know let them out in the safe space. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. That's um, that's really interesting. May I ask another question around that? Um, yeah, sure. In yeah. terms of relationships, how yeah. does mental health uh, or the decline of mental health um, impact the intimacy? Hmm. How is it impacting intimacy with partners? Um, very, very apparent, unfortunately. Again, because if their partners feeling stress and they not sure how to communicate that with anyone, um whether that's through professional work or through their own family members with their spouse and all that stuff, for whatever reason, um, it created a lot of tension um, in the relationship. So there will be a lot of reactivities rather than emotional connection, for example. 
um, very easily to push the button. Um, you know, whenever some um, a partner asking about you know very minor question, and it's suddenly getting very easily triggered. Right. Because, um, yeah, because that person is not feeling um, like themselves. And just getting, you know, getting heated up. Those fightings, arguments, just going to be escalating very um, yeah, easily. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. trivial things can easily. Yeah. Um, and yeah. look, I mean, not not to, yeah, not to be biased or anything, but, you know, I come from also similarly a culture where you know it's a patriarch you know um, and when the male in the family gets triggered you know um and starts getting quite loud you know although although he may not even notice that he's getting loud um but the fact that he's taller bigger larger and just one or two notches louder than usual the impact upon mm -hmm. the children or the rest of the family it's it, you feel the gravitas of that you know and yes. I, I also recall from experience when look when my parents had their problems right when you know whatever their problems were whether it was you know financial mm -hmm. or you know mental health or whether it's within their relationship they really kept it behind closed doors they didn't want us to be totally um, exposed to it mm. which I really appreciated because we oh, my sisters and I we grew up you know valuing and understanding the sanctity of, of marriage for example mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we we saw that they had a, mostly they had a pretty good like relationship and they were good mm -hmm. to each other but there were time there were times when when that was not evident um, and that would scare us. Mm. But then there were also times where they were, they were going through some issues, whether it was with between them or, you know, whether, whatever other issues mm. that they were managing mm -hmm. for the family. And I could sense as a teenager at the time, teenager onwards, actually, I could sense that my parents were not, as loving to each other uh, yeah. they were not yeah. as you know gentle it may not be between mm. them you know they probably had like financial other stresses um or you know dad yeah. was going through something really uh challenging um with his work and all that but there was just a lack of emotional intimacy and physical intimacy yeah. We didn't see that as much. They weren't cuddling as much, you know. They were not calling mm -hmm. each other Jan. Jan means life in Urdu or Hindi. Mm -hmm. We used to call mm -hmm. each other Jan. You know, suddenly I hear them call each other by their names, but we know they were not fighting. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that's really weird. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you have yeah. to, to say about these things? Um. First of all, I think in terms of the, the marriage relationships, any uh, marriage relationship is one of the relationships difficult, any relationship is difficult, right? Mm. Especially as close as marriage relationships, right? Um, in terms of 
now from from which perspective are you are you want me to answer from the the child perspective or from the from the husband and wife or the partner uh, perspective let's start how would you like the partner and mm. then how that extends out outward yeah um again i think during during those stressful moments the you you're right you know instead of emotional connection there will be some distance and kids will be able to observe that um again it's some 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 marital couple will will show in terms of how they react so you're becoming more loud in the households or you're becoming more stonewalling very cold in the household so whichever one both of them are not really healthy to be honest because um and the healthy you know because the, the child will be able to try to absorb that understand what's going on and they just question themselves why is mom and dad is stonewalling and it's very cold they don't even talk to each other they don't have those um you know uh cuddly and funny and loving warm feeling to each other and again it's impacting on how they react to the kids as well mm. right because it's such a um an easy way just to unload mm. especially to the kids um and i see that happening um yeah. within my clients within my own personal uh life and all kind of stuff too Mm-hmm. so and suddenly just the either the mother or the father suddenly become very agitated with with smallest things yeah. even though they, the children not doing anything um as much i mean the children is probably just doing what child does mm-hmm. right yeah. um and it's impacting the whole vibe in in the households yeah so i think from from my perspective um if that becoming a pattern from you know keep on stonewalling for many years or keep on fighting and becoming more aggressive on years um for sometimes and they've they they're not sure how to get out from those patterns start seeking out help with a counselor with a coach whomever that may be with a therapist just to get out from that pattern because essentially what they are reacting are not reacting to those current moments but they still reacting to the past uh, mm. whatever they have in the childhood yeah um i've been taking uh, taking a few of my clients through that journey um in that space as well yeah so you're referring yeah. to childhood yeah. trauma yes yeah childhood upbringing and childhood trauma and whatever the case may be because stonewalling perhaps is a strategy that is being displayed by one of the parent or mm. um or they have embedded um embedded those strategy because they have experienced certain things and they decided I just don't want to mm. I just want to dissociate myself from the from the experience yeah right so it's something that that is very early being being learned um and then it's it displaying um for you know for a long time in the adult 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 life mm. yeah mm. stonewalling we've talked about it or we've mentioned it so many times um 
would yeah. you kindly share with our listeners, you know, just what it actually means? Um, stonewalling is a, a strategy where, well, basically you put a, put a wall between you and the world around you. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to um, emotionally, sometimes it can be physically as well. And, and it's becoming distancing from you and that person. Um, say for example, I've, I've, I've experienced it myself. I, I see it on others that, for example, um, a husband and wife go to the kitchen and, and, uh, the husband who's, who's stonewalling, uh, for example, um, and the wife is asking him uh, mm. a question mm. and he just basically ignored her mm. for th- those questions and just, really not not caring really just putting a wall mm. um on his on himself because again they don't want to uh, they just want to get away from that feeling yeah. i guess in my family we call it silent treatment <laughs> yes silent yeah. treatment yeah. and um it's it's very you know although you're not saying anything and although maybe part yeah. of it might be you know that 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 need to withdraw because you know you don't have the emotional capacity to deal um you know you're just kind of sunken Mm -hmm. within yourself um yeah but on the other hand sometimes you know stonewalling can come off as being quite aggressive because Mm. it can and you know really hurt people um when someone asks you a question and then you choose deliberately not to respond and it may be not maybe it's not out of malice maybe you just make a grunt or a sound um in acknowledgement or in response or you just have like a you know you're just monosyllabic that's also still considered stonewalling um and yeah i guess the intention varies but the effect is is quite quite painful in other people as well so you know Mm. just the idea that you know mental health is you know when you're struggling um and when you're not alone when you don't live alone because come on like to be honest how many of us really Mm. live on our own even if we live alone physically you know we're always connected with other people um, and yeah. so we, you yeah. know, our actions, our behaviors, our moods, blah, 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 everything uh, affects others as well. So that's that. Yes, definitely. You know, if you don't, yeah, it's about, about the greater good also, not only about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So coming back to the example of, of stonewalling, right? The, the person who stonewall also have their own, the, the strategy works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that that strategy of putting the stonewall works for them because they perhaps you know have a lot of emotional burden within them and that's right. that's the only strategy that they know. Right. Um, but then again, it's coming back to the impact. If the um, if they have young kids, would they put um, uh, dot stonewall altogether? Mm-hmm. That kids will ask him, why is mom why mom and dad is treating me like this? Mm-hmm. Um, have I done something wrong? Um, and then they will internalize it. That's they are the one who did something wrong mm. in um, you know um, in that space. 
and they will internalize it, especially for kids between zero to seven or zero to eight, whatever the case is. Um, they will internalize it and most likely internalize it. It's becoming um, the fault of their own, not because the the adults around them are putting that strategy because they are hurting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that could be a learned pattern from then on, which is... Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, just now you talked a bit about compassion. Um, mm. You talked a little bit about um, healing um, from mm. feeling, I guess, being aware. Yeah. Um, yes. So drawing on that what are some of the skills the strategies so we talked also a little bit about um awareness you know having that sense of yeah. locus of awareness within ourselves like how much time are we actually spending on these things and you know whether yeah. we're fulfilled or not so that's one thing uh, one i guess mm. i can say um, skill uh, no strategy you know that is that the inward mm. reflection and compassion you mentioned so can, can you elaborate a little bit more uh, in terms of strategy um, yeah. going through this, I guess a few things that that's worked for me personally, um, that being uh, that I uh, also teach my or, or coach my my clients. First of all, awareness is always the key, right? To to any any changes, any transformation changes. So one of the things that um, I ask my client is try to bringing more subconscious pattern to conscious awareness how they i asked them how uh, how they do that is by um, asking for feedback from their um from people around them the one that they they trust um, if they they can start asking from their partner for example look i'm trying to do xyz work just you know, if you if you see me displaying X Y Z behavior, please let me know. I may not be I may be reacting in certain ways in the first time, but um, uh, but I would highly you know appreciate if you can bring that to my uh, conscious awareness. The other thing I would ask them to do is is start journaling mm-hmm. in terms of um, you know daily journal bringing again bringing those subconscious to conscious mm-hmm. uh, i asked them just to write down for example if there's an event happen on that day that trigger them um start writing them writing them down what are the events or what is the event what are the trigger physically or emotionally what are the things that they say to themselves and and then just ask themselves deeper question is this coming from the past have this been um a repetitive pattern mm. um, in the past and then um the other one is especially for those uh, you know feeling those anxiety and or feeling triggered in terms of fight flight um fight flight fight and fawn emotions or, or trigger is being connected with their uh, with their body, with themselves, through the the deep breathing techniques, for example. That's um, I'm going through that with my clients as well. Okay. And it's um, it's it has been really working very well for me as well. Yeah. Especially if I'm feeling, 
you know, uh, if my kids is doing a lot of uh, stuff that creating a lot of, uh, you know, creating uh, emotions within me or at work, for example, if I'm feeling those anxiety um, for many times, I will just sit and just take a, a lot of deep breath for five to ten breaths. Mm. Uh, and just really feeling it and just you know, trying to create that space between the external cues and the internal response mm. yeah so um, will you practice what you preach <laughs> yes yeah yeah definitely so i'm i'm trying to to uh to make sure that my clients also enjoy that and I, you know, that I, I try it before I, I deliver it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's, that's, I really respect that because, you know, not everyone practices what they preach and, you know, um, and I've met quite a few people like that. And even mm. in parental roles, when they'll be like, oh, this is good for you. You should do this. You should do that. But then, you know, we don't pick up on these skills growing up because, they're not yeah. doing it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one of one of the the key um, learning uh, when I'm starting or when I'm um, you know um, doing coaching with the, the coaching institute in Melbourne, they 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 kept saying and 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 they kept saying and putting this message that try this on yourself first. Make sure that whatever techniques and frameworks that you're going to try to deliver to your clients, apply them in your life first. Right. So that's what I've been doing. And then because it will be, it will, you will have much more powerful impact if you try to, to implement this in, in your own daily life. Mm -hmm. And it will be much more convincing to your clients. Yeah. So when I uh, do in a childhood, a child work with my clients, that's because I've already experienced it, already having receiving the the transformational um, outcome within my own personal life, and that's why I'm able and I'm wanting to take my client in this journey. Mm, yeah, that experiential mm. aspect um, is not is you're moving away from from learning um you know theoretically and but actually knowing so yeah that that experience gives you the knowledge you know it now inside out like you you get exactly. it um and it's yeah, not exactly. only like a cognitive thing anymore it's like really within you exactly so it's like um akin to you can say i can read books about swimming mm. i can be a, a you know an expert in swimming academically you know a to z i can write books around it but if i never jump into a pool and swim mm. i may i may still be drowned in that pool mm. right i cannot say you know um so it's it's very different you can say things uh, you know learning from the books and all kinds of stuff but if i don't tried myself and how it can transform my life then I can't deliver that to my clients now that we're talking about this yeah. it reminds me of something um you know on social media right we often mm -hmm. um see you know all these quotes <laughs> about like life <laughs> and you know how to like help ourselves and other people and blah 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 
And, you know, the quote is, I'm not bashing or bagging the, the quotes. The quotes are really valuable. But it's just like when, when, when you see that being, you know, being posted here and there, like so fleetingly, um, I wonder that when we read them or when we post them, do we actually connect with that? Are we actually doing what it's saying? Are we actually mm. reflecting? Are we being aware? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. What is our yeah. inner experience about you know this quote? And you know, rather than oh, this yeah. is good to post, it's <laughs> and sometimes yeah, I see yeah, I'm, I'm, these. I'm just like you know, <laughs> if, if all of us really understood what this sentence means we would not have <laughs> that many problems in society <laughs> but that's yeah, just me I, I, totally agree. <laughs> I think i think that's 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 uh, that's common across the board not only in terms of good quotes and being pasted on 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 social media and all that stuff and for me if i if i read some of the the things that i taking inspirations um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll save them and I'll try to implement them. Hmm. Um, and, but, but then one of the things that um, I've been asked by my business coach, my life coach and all that is um, don't be a consumer of social media, mm -hmm. be a producer, produce your content and deliver good stuff out there. So mm. yeah, for, and for me, that's, that's taking a, a whole different perspective altogether like so, uh, and, and 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 it's it does take practice because i have been a consumer of social media for a long time it takes mm -hmm. a lot of practice trying to switch to become a producer of content mm -hmm. um and yeah just not uh, uh on the other side of the table i guess mm, you know, that's that's a whole different discussion but yeah, yeah. no no that's pretty cool <laughs> that's pretty cool because um when i started out um, on social media um, as a professional I had all these you know golden words that I it just resonated with me right but I didn't mm -hmm. want to just like blankly repost it like it has no you know no substance and I was advised um, to actually write a spiel on my take of it and through mm -hmm. that, I really got to, you know, it's, it's like writing a little journal snippet about like a quote that you see um, and yes. how that, you know, how that resonates with you and how and why. And, you know, you reflect a little bit. And as you're writing that while you post, you kind of like you're working more and you're feeling more yeah. and you're really grasping it yeah. on a different level. So, yeah, that journaling, yeah. journaling is so powerful in whatever ways or forms that we do it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, when I started, I, I never journaled before. So I just journal in the past 12 months because, again, my therapist, my coach asked me, start bringing your conscious, subconscious, aware, subconscious to your awareness. Mm. So now I'm just, you know, checking in myself at the end of the day. What happens today? Oh, there's something triggering, you know, that just happened today. Okay, I'll just write it down. And it's, um, yeah, it's really powerful, powerful too. What about the positive um, stuff? Do you... The, the positive the, stuff as well, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
that's because the gratitude. there's there's things that I yeah there's the gratitude bit um uh, you know um what am I feeling thankful for today it mm. can be as simple as you know what when I when I walk in the door from work today my kids just started jumping on me whatever the case may be right and that's yeah. something that you just want to cherish yeah because um as as a father I think those moments can yeah it's just going to be fleeting but those emotional can have a, a long-term imprint in, um, in our amygdala in our uh in our hippocampus whatever the case may be right in, in, in our limbic brain yeah oh thank you for saying that um i did want to share a little something um around this is because my research is around death and bereavement mm-hmm. and i guess the way I approach, you know, I guess triggers, positive or negative events that happen during the day, week, years, whenever I do reflect, which it's quite often, um, and I'm happy to say that, you know, um, it is like building a muscle. Reflection is just something that just happens now. Um, is mm-hmm. that deathbed um, approach? How am I going to do things? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Dead. Like, you know, if I die tomorrow, that's the other thing. If I die tomorrow, would this really matter? Um, How much would it matter? So I take a a little bit of an extreme approach, but it really helps with perspective and it helps in existential psychotherapy to to just lay things out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I also do that with my clients. There's there's two ways I'm doing that with my clients, for example. And um, when we are doing the, um, the, the long-term journey and long-term understanding of where they want to go in their life, I ask them to create, uh, imagine themselves, what would they, families or partner, children will say about them at the end of that journey, life journey. Right. Right. And... I ask them to re. I'm 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 taking them into that space. I ask them, you know, can you imagine yourself in such a place? What are they going to say about you? And the other one that I'm, and then from there, um, the one that I ask them to just do on everyday basis is this: um, before you interact with people, whether that's your family members, whether that your colleagues at at work, whether that's your leaders or whomever that may be, I ask them, what is the emotion that you want to leave them behind about yourself? Mm. How does that work? For example, before before you pick up that phone to and uh, to uh, you know your colleague, how do you want to? How do you want them to feel about you in that? Mm-hmm. And then this is the same question that I ask myself, for example, before when I'm feeling stressed at work and all that stuff, um, before I walk in the door, what is the emotion you know, imprint that mm-hmm. I want to leave for my kids? And if I'm feeling stressed from work, I'm just going to ask my wife, for example, for a space. Uh, can I just can you just give me five, 10 minutes just to process mm-hmm. things? I would like, you know, have a shower. I would just lay down and feel the feelings that I'm feeling at that day that based on, you know, from the workplace, whatever the case may yeah. be, and just let it sit within my, my emotion. 
and yeah. then just let it go as well. And yeah. then after that, before I interact with my kids, I would bring my sub, my conscious awareness. How do I want them to feel when when I am in their present? Right. Right. So not only the long term of you know what is the legacy, what is the obituary that you want to say to yourself, what are the family is going to say about you, but how you can bring and then how you can bring that on a daily life, on a daily interactions. I really like that. I really like that part where you kind of wrap your mind. Um, You give yourself Mm. the time and you ask for permission in order to transition from, you know, one headspace. Because often when we enter the house um, or when we're uh, transitioning in with our tasks and throughout the day, you know, our our headspace changes and that seeking of permission and making that quite what you call that quite normal normalizing that mm. and having that intention it, it, mm. I really like it I really like it thank you for sharing that <laughs> it sounds like all your Most approaches welcome. are definitely proactive mm. but it's, it sounds like there's something that it, they'd be able to like people can be able to cultivate that quite easily over time yes Definitely. So it's 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 an everyday habit, things that I usually take my clients with, mm. um, and, and something that is small to do, but it can have a, a a greater impact, I guess, in terms of moving the needle, moving the trajectory where they want to go. So yeah, it's this. Very I totally cool. Very cool. This. <laughs> Thank you, Sidki. Look, it's been really, it was really lovely to to speak with you about these things. Um, I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a few things. And just for the listeners, uh, would you like to tell them a little bit more about what you do in terms of your coaching um, and also where they can find you um, on social media? So um, I can be found on on Facebook. I don't have any website at this point in time. So my Facebook, try to search by ReconnectQ. Um, on Facebook, so one word. Reconnect and you, yeah, reconnect you. One word. Um, <clears throat> so I'm working with, um, as, as mentioned in the introductions, I'm working with uh, particularly fathers, um, young adults, and also leaders in terms of being more uh, emotionally connected with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing emotion as a you know a source of strength rather than a source of weakness. Mm-hmm. And being able to to manage that, and then they build a more meaningful connection in their life, um, whether that's with their children or whether that's with their colleagues at work, etc. Um, so, and at the high level, the program that I'm offer, I'm doing a one-on-one coaching, also doing a one-to-many group coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do workshop, public workshops. Sometimes, most of them at this point in time, there are some free workshops that I run. So okay. last month, for example, I run through workshops around childhood trauma and how it impacts us in, uh, in, in, in our day, um, day-to-day life. And next month, I'll be running another workshops in regards to um, building 
building emotional connection with your children through the five love languages. Um, okay. So, yeah, and then also do um, an ad hoc work with my clients, so well, processions. Um, and I'm currently building a three months uh, program. Um, so much more intense in terms of program and mentoring, coaching and mentoring. And then after that, it will be a different thing altogether. Yeah. So just a couple of questions. When this three months program, is it weekly, bi-weekly, fortnightly? Uh, I'm still developing that at this point in time. It will be uh, at this stage, I think it will be fortnightly okay. uh, with access to my uh, group coaching sessions as well. Oh, nice. um, and I'm building, I'm also building a resources library for the clients um, so they can have access to the past workshops that I've done. Um, so collating some, um, you know, creating workbooks and ebooks and all that stuff so I can put it in there. And I'm collating a few other informations based on um, uh, that I feel will be able to, to benefit my clients. Um, so that three months journey is really about um, uh, taking my clients into a journey of emotional awareness, yeah. uh, emotional management, yeah. and yeah. then uh, social social emotions. Be, you know how to um, uh, how to take that to uh, externally. Okay, and how big are your groups generally? Um, I, I haven't started my group coaching as yet, but I'm looking for usually around five to eight people. Okay. So, so in the past, I have done I have done group coaching around yeah around around five to, to eight people in terms of group coaching. Workshop is much more open. Mm -hmm. um, workshops, um, you know, between fifteen to thirty people usually the one that turn up. Um, but group coaching uh, is much more intense, and I would like to have limit that to five to eight people. Yeah, just um, more than that. for a little bit of clarification, what's the difference mm -hmm. between the workshops and the groups um group coaching will be okay workshop is much more material uh delivery okay. uh, and is much more for public okay um the group coaching is taking them into a um it, again it will be a combination between those the three months program it will include that group coaching in there as well so the group coaching is more Okay, what are the things that they have um, issues with, uh, whether that's uh, from family perspective or life, uh, life in general perspective, and bring it to the table within the group. So it's it's uh, creating those uh, connections with each other as well. Yeah, so it's collaborative. Um, becoming like a support system. Yeah, becoming wow. more like a support system between them. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see. Um, and in terms of the workshop, the length of a workshop, would that be just a one-time thing, a few-hour thing? Um, so at this point in time, um, trying to run monthly workshop between mm -hmm. one hour to one hour and a half. Okay. Um, at this stage, there are free events. Mm -hmm. um, and I will, uh, I'm, I may going to have or run a, um, a paid workshop later on on the track as well. Wonderful. Depending on, um, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Awesome. Well, thank you so yeah. much you for sharing. Is there well, any? Thank you very much. Appreciate you that. Share no? with our listeners.
no, I think um, yeah. Again, if they willing to connect, let's let's connect through social media, and then we can have those engagement further. So cool. yeah, thank you for thank you again for having me, Amira. Appreciate that. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> have a good one. Bye, everyone.